Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. Blessed is the one whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. I acknowledge my... I acknowledge my sins to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sins. This is the word of God. Church, let's pray. God, we love you, and we thank you for, for the grace and mercy that you have for us that we, we don't have to earn your forgiveness. We simply have to confess. God, I pray that we become a church, a nation, a people that simply fall at your knees daily and confess to you all of our transgressions because we know that's all you want from us. God, I ask that you speak through Mike today and that we become people that don't just hear words and then go out tomorrow and live the lives that we typically live, but we actually take those words to heart and walk forward as people sent. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, buddy. Y'all can be seated. Love Jeremy Sullivan. Man, he's a passionate individual. Uh, helps in our, uh, both in our men's and in our student ministry. You'll see him on the stage here in a little bit as we commission out our team getting ready to go to Greece, our student ministry team here at the end of our service. Hey, I don't know if it, how many of y'all have jumped into our study in the book of Psalms, but I am enjoying it. It has been a refreshment this summer. Uh, I hope you have taken advantage of that and jumped in. I want to read a couple of, uh, of entries because every day you have this little devotional on the front end. You have a, a text, maybe a couple of chapters to read, and there's a place where you can interact with the text. And here's a couple of, uh, of the quotes that kind of came in this week on day 15. Aubrey said this, I realized that starting my day in the Word really does make life a little easier to cope with. I haven't done devotionals in a while, and I see a difference in my days already. Again, I could not have written that myself and given it to her any better than to be able to say that this is what is life-changing out there. And th- this makes a difference in, 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 in your life. Here, here's, here's one from Ember. She said this, It's beautiful and encouraging to see brothers and sisters studying God's Word, seeking Him first thing in the morning. I pray His presence stays with you throughout the day. I literally use your input as you're, as you're putting those in uh, each day. I use those as, as prayer points for me to pray for you. You're encouraging me as we're going through it. So hopefully you jump in. If you haven't jumped in, jump into the Psalms in the, uh, in the summer series. There'll be a slide there and you can text in and that will enroll you immediately in that, in that. We're going to be looking today at a passage that is going to be in the reading plan for this coming week. So uh, you'll get a little head start in it, give you some forethought into it. 
It's in Psalm 32. If you have your Bibles, be finding there. Uh, be finding Psalm 32. But I hope that you're feeling sensing as you read through the Psalms that there's a, uh, there's a uniqueness about this book. 150 chapters written over a thousand years, uh, multiple, uh, multiple different authors from different cultures and different perspectives and worldviews, but yet all coming together, bringing us into this tight, powerful relationship with the God of the universe. And it, it is life-changing. And I hope that you're there. I hope that you will get there. I hope that you will jump in and be a part of us. This is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, said about the Psalms. He said, whenever the Psalter is abandoned, it's in, an incomparable treasure vanishes from the Christian church. And with its recovery will come an unsuspected power. Where it says Christian church, you insert your name. With the Psalter, when the Psalter is abandoned, an incomparable treasure vanishes from Mike McDaniel. With its recovery will come an unsuspected power. And so I hope, again, you're in the Word daily, you're experiencing the Word of God, and it is touching your life. We're in, we're in Psalm 32. You'll notice whenever you open up Psalm 32, the very first word, blessed, is the same first word in the very first chapter of the book of Psalms. Now, don't make light of that. Don't just say that's a coincidence. Because the word saw, the word blessed is translated in my Bible 53 different times. So it's, it's translated a lot of times. But from chapter 1, the very first word being blessed, to chapter 32 in, in a chapter, it's the next time that it is used. So really the theme, the foundation for the Psalms is to help us live a blessed life. Psalm chapter 1, first message in this series. All the way to Psalm 32, how to get back to a blessed life. Whenever you've gotten off course, and we've all gotten off course, whether we've realized we're off course or not, the reality is that we can't get back on course, that there is a plan, there is a path to getting back on course and getting back into that blessed, flourishing life. But a blessed life, I'll say this, is a clean life. You need to associate, not a perfect life, you don't have to be perfect, God doesn't call us to perfection, He does call us to holiness. He does call us to cleanness. He does call, He realizes that we are broken people. But what He does in His, in His part of our narrative is He redeems us and brings us and makes us clean, holy, and right. But we've got a problem. That there is constantly something, someone, something inside, something on the outside that is constantly tripping us up. Now we might call it a mistake. The Bible calls it sin. We might call it an accident. The Bible calls it a transgression. We might call it a a, a hang up. The Bible calls it iniquity. There are words that we will use to make the word sound a little softer, a little bit more palatable, a little bit more agreeable, a little bit as if I, 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 I can accept it and we're all messed up, right? Let's just all move on in our messed upness. But the blessed life, the Psalms chapter 1 calls us to, and Psalm 32 calls us back to, is not going to be received, is not going to be walked in if we are walking in a life that is not walking clean. And connected. In fact, I'll tell you this, that anytime you want to pray for Mike and you don't know what to pray for Mike, if my name comes up in your mind in the middle of the week, that is a prompt from God to pray for me, okay? Let's just put that down. Pray. Keep Mike close. Keep Mike clean. 
Because if you don't know what to pray for me and you can say, God, I don't know what he's need. I don't know what his struggles are. I don't know what he's going through. I don't know decisions he's got to make, but God, keep my close and clean. You will hit probably right on where I need to be. So let's look at Psalm 32. Jeremy just read a few of the verses for us. I want to zero in for just a moment on chapter, uh, on the very first two verses. And I want to point out something here. That he uses three different words for sin. Let's see if you can notice them as we read them again. Blessed is the one whose transgressions, that's the first time, is forgiven. Whose sin, that's the second word, is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. That's the third word. Now, these are not just three synonyms, and they all mean the same thing. They actually have a different nuance to the same concept of living in a disconnected relationship with God. When I'm no longer clean and connected to God, but I'm actually, there is this separation that has taken place. And these words are important to understand. The first word is transgression. It actually means to be a rebel, to rebel against God, basically to say, I'm in charge, I'm, I got my own life, I'm going to do it my own way, and I'm going to call my own shots. It's kind of like an insurrection on heaven. It's kind of like a coup d'etat on your life. It's like, I know you're God, and I know I'm not, but I'm going to be God, and you're not. Now, you would never say that, but you might live it. In fact, we've all lived it. We probably have lived it before the end of this day in some way, some attitude, something that we say, do, or, or believe, or something that we participate in, we will engage in a sense of transgression, a sense of rebellion, a sense of fighting against God. The Bible calls sin lawlessness in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, just to kind of help put your arms around it. But another word is sin. Sin is actually something... Uh, akin to the Greek word harmatea, which means to miss the mark. So if I'm shooting at a target and I miss that target, then that is sin. So we've got two things. We've got rebellion is one mark. Missing God's mark is another word for sin, but also iniquity. This means bent, twisted, broken, deformed. So literally, if you want to take all of this and put it together... You gotta understand that we are rebels, we are rebellious, we revolt against God, and we do this in such a way that it causes us to miss God's design for our life. We miss the mark, we miss His glory, we miss it being like Him, and so therefore what happens then? We're bented and twisted and deformed in the midst of it all. But again, remember, He said, blessed is the man who that does not describe them. How do we get there? Because I am a rebel. I am a rebel. I've missed the mark with God. I'm crooked, twisted, and broken. And I'm in a room of rebels, who, people who have missed the mark, people who are twisted, broken. Now you say, hey, you don't know me, Mike. I know humanity. I know the reality that what's going on in Washington is not our problem. What's going on in, in our culture is not our problem. What's going on in the heart of humanity is the problem. And a heart that is rebe rebelled against God, a heart that is missing God's mark, a heart that is, that is bent and broken and twisted and deformed, that is a heart that needs the touch of the God of the universe. 
Whenever you look at the scriptures, we find that there are, there are times in the scriptures that we are, we're brought to, uh, uh, to the realization of our brokenness. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, all have sinned and fall short of the God, uh, the, the glory of God. So again, a very much a similar phrase there. Jeremiah 14, 20 says, if we, uh, the Lord, we confess our wickedness and that of our ancestors. That literally, we carry on generational sins from one generation to the next. You find it with David and his sin with Bathsheba. That was his sin with Bathsheba. But then you find out that Solomon carries on this sensuality uh, proclivity in his own life. And he learned it from his daddy. I don't know. Solomon takes it up. Absalom uh, commits this uh, heinous crime against Tamar, his sister. Sexual crime, if you will. And it's like... All of this is happening because there's generational sins. We need to recognize even in our past, in our upbringing, there's a brokenness. How do we deal with this? We got to come clean. How do we get back to God's blessed life? We got to come clean. We got to get real. We got, we got to know what's really going on inside of us. And, and you look at Psalm 32. It's only one of seven different Psalms in the, the book of Psalms that, that David is, uses as a confession. He is literally using the book of Psalms as a tool, as a book of confession. And there's other Psalms that portions of the Psalm is dedicated to confession. If you want to live this blessed, redeemed life back in the way God called us to, we're going to have to own our junk. <laughs> we've all got junk and we've got to own our junk or your junk is going to own you. Listen, David started with a man after God's own heart, but he turned into a man after his own desires. And it can happen to anybody. Entitlement came over him. Opportunity was before him. Passions were within him, and obedience was far from him, which led to his fall. And any time that we have a spirit of entitlement, I can do this because. I can do this because I can pay my way through this. I can do this because I can justify it. I can do this because I deserve it. And that whole spirit of entitlement that wrecks our society today, beware of that. And then you have an opportunity in front of you. Somebody comes in front of you, an opportunity for a business deal comes in front of you. It's not exactly a kosher. I could give a thousand different things. You, you put entitlement in my heart, and then you put an opportunity in front of me, and then the passion on the other side begins to bubble up, and then if I have not taken all of that mathematical equation and put it under obedience and surrender to God, I am going to fall. I'm going to find myself in a mess. How do I get out of that mess? I come clean. How do I get right again? I come clean. There's basically two options. I know it may seem like I'm oversimplifying it. There's two options. You can either conceal it or you can confess it. You can conceal it. When you conceal it, it's going to sicken you. It's going to make you not well in so many ways, deep down inside of who you are. When I start concealing my sin instead of confessing my sin, again, if we had enough time, we would read all of chapter 32, we'd go over and read all of chapter 51. 
Because most scholars believe, in fact, I don't know of a single scholar who does not believe that Psalm 51 and Psalm 32 are heads and tails, or journal entries, if you will, of David struggling after his sin with Bathsheba. And it's believed that after he committed his sin with Bathsheba, again, he had a spirit of entitlement. I'm a king. I can do what I want to do. Uh, nobody can tell me what to do. I, can, I, I am the boss. He had an opportunity. He was staring down on, uh, on Bathsheba while she was bathing. That opportunity turned into a passion inside of him. He didn't control the passion inside of him. So therefore, he did not let, bring obedience into, into the equation, surrender into the equation. And so you take entitlement, you take opportunity, and you take passion, you put them together, you kick out obedience, and what happens? So what he does after that, after he sleeps with Bathsheba, forcing himself onto her, he finds out that his sin reduced, uh, ended up getting her pregnant. He now has to cover himself. Cover himself. When you try to cover yourself instead of going to God for covering, then we're gonna, then we got a, a, a different thing going on. So he tries to cover himself. He calls Uriah back. He begins to manipulate circumstances. He wants to get Mariah, uh, Uriah back so that Uriah will be the one who impregnated her. But that doesn't work. So therefore, he puts him on the front line so that he dies on the front line so then he can take Bathsheba as his wife. You can see this one problem led to another problem that led to another problem. It was all in an attempt to cover up. And again, when you conceal your sin and don't confess your sin, it only leads to greater and greater destruction. Ananias and Sapphira tried to cover their own sin. Moses killed an Egyptian, buried him in the sand, and that body came back to the surface. Charles Swindoll said it like this, hiding wrong doesn't erase wrong, it only postpones its discovery. When we play hide and seek with God, we lose every single time. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 says, nothing in all creation is hid from God's sight. Everything is open and laid bare before the one to whom we must give an account. Let that verse become a memory verse for you. Nothing in all creation is hidden from his sight. He can see it all. Matthew chapter 10, verse 26, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be made known. Jeremiah 19, 16, verse 17, for my eyes are, all, uh, are on all their ways. God's looking down on all our ways. They are not hidden from my face, nor is their iniquity concealed from my eyes. Now hang with me on this, please. If you're going, okay, we got this big, mean God up in heaven. He's looking down on us. He's seeing all of our little wrongs, and he's just ready to zap us. Hang on to the end of the message. Because really what God wants to do is if he's poking and prodding, if he's convicting, if he's kind of pointing it out through other brothers and sisters in our life, if he's pointing it out through the teaching of the word of God, it's not because he's trying to beat us down. He's trying to bring us back to the blessing that he designed from the Genesis chapter 1. He's trying to get us back to that flourished life in Psalm chapter 1. So how do we get there? You can conceal or you can confess. Psalm 32, verse 3 and 4. Let's read that together. He said, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, uh, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength 
was dried up by the heat of summer. When you look here, you're going to see that there are impacts. There's a physical impact. There is a spiritual impact. Whenever we live with unconfessed, unrepented of sin. Make all the excuses, do all the entitlement you want, but when we live with unconfessed, unrepentant of sin, then what we're doing is we are concealing it and it's going to begin to affect you, physically affect you. Your eyes will be affected. My sin is ever before me. When David went to bed at night, he'd lay, his bed, he'd lay down on his bed and he would close his eyes and he would still see it plain. The loyal soldier Uriah, he just had him murdered. The time that he was staring down on Bathsheba when he should have been doing kingly chores that every other king, it was all before him. It affects how you see the world and how the world looks in on you and how you perceive you perceive, being perceived in the world. It affects your eyes. My sins are staring me down is the way the message paraphrases it. It'll affect your mind. Whenever I live with unconfessed, unrepented of sin, you desire truth in my inmost being. But the problem is, that's what God desires. Again, Psalm 51, Psalm 32 are, are, are hand in hand. You read them together to really understand it. But what happens whenever I don't, when I have unconfessed, unrepented of sin, I don't have truth in my inmost being. My mind is not full of truth. Listen, listen, listen. I'm living a false narrative. I'm living a lie that I'm telling myself, it's going to be okay. You're going to be all right. You, you deserve this. Be careful of that alternative reality that we end up living in. When God desires truth in our innermost being, bones begin to hurt. Notice what he said. He said, let the bones in which, uh, which you have broken rejoice. We used to call it psychosomatic in, I think it was 1987. The Association of Psychologists changed the name from psychosomatic to psychophysiological illnesses. That literally your body will begin to respond to the sin that you're carrying through life. That your body will begin to be affected, you will begin to feel things. Listen, when I live with unconfessed, unrepentant of sin, and I'm hiding it, concealing it, it is like a 200-pound gorilla on me. It affects how I sleep, it affects how I eat, it affects how I, how I function throughout the day, which then has a residual ongoing effect into my life. I'm a stress eater, so therefore I eat more. I, I lose sleep, anxiety. There's so many things that begin to happen to me because I am being weighted down with this. But there's not only a physical toll, there's a spiritual toll as well. He said, create in me a clean heart, was his prayer. Like the heart, the spiritual person of who you are. Joy, make, my joy, make me hear joy and gladness again. I think about David. The most prolific writer of the book of Psalms is David. I have to believe that for the one year that he was running from God, he didn't write a psalm. There was no joy in his heart, no gladness. He wasn't writing, he was running. 
He wasn't seeking. He was hiding. He was running from, hiding from what God... The, the writer of the most prolific hymn book that we have stops. There's no joy. His heart is not clean. His spirit, he prays in Psalm 51, renew a steadfast spirit within me. His spirit, his heart, his joy, gone. Think about sin. Think about iniquity. Think about transgression. All those different words that we just broke down. They take us. They take you further than you want to go. They teach you more than you want to know. They cost you more than you want to pay. And they keep you longer than you want to stay. Beware. This is not Mike pounding on you. This is Mike saying, I've lived the concealed life of my sin. And it is painful. It is hurtful to me and others. Proverbs 28, 13, probably the epic verse of today. People who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. I said there's two ways you can deal with your transgressions, your sin, your iniquity. There's two ways. You can conceal it. You can confess it. You see the results. If you confess it, it moves you back into a state of freedom. It renews you on the inside. Romans chapter 4 verse 7, Oh, that the joy of those who, whose disobedience is forgiven. Now notice this next say, statement. Whose sins are put out of sight. Now, leave that verse up there. So many people want to go to the last statement. I want my sins put out of sight. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to conceal them. If you do that, you haven't done the first part of the verse. You haven't experienced the first part of the verse. I own my disobedience. I experience the forgiveness of God. And then, then, and only then, can my sins be put out of sight. It's not going to getting my sins off the page. I've, I've had couples in my office before. One has committed an adultery on, on the other and work with them for a bit. I don't do long-term counseling, but I'll walk with them. And it's incredible how I've seen this multiple times. So not any one time, but multiple times. One will finally get tired of talking about it. And the other one is still talking about it. And it's like, what do you do with that? Can't we just move on? It's really nice. You got to move on together. But typically the, the offender is ready to move on long before the offended. And I just say that to just say there is a process of healing that takes place. And the forgiveness comes first. And then it goes out of sight. And, uh, and we work forward. Look at verse 5. Whenever you look at th Psalm 32, verse 5, notice these words. Notice the personal pronouns of I and my. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. 
I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Own your junk or your junk will own you. I bring that to the Lord and I go, what I did was wrong. I was, I was, out, I was out of line. Whatever it is, fill in, fill in that blank. And let the healing process begin from that moment forward. Anything COVID-19 has taught us, it's the washing of the hands, right? And, I mean, we had more hand sanitizers around here, and, and we had masks on, all that kind of stuff. Remember the elbow bumping? And you remember uh, trying to get rid of COVID, you'd drink Lysol or whatever, and you, uh, you, uh, you wash your hands to Mary Had a Little Lamb. And we were doing all that kind of stuff, all the hand sanitizers. But the funny thing is, all the hand sanitizers, big, bold print, 99.9% of the germs are, are gone from that. But it, what if COVID is in that one-tenth of that 1%? What happens to that one? It's like, I want 100%. Cleansing, restoration, wash me thoroughly, David prayed, from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, the west never meets the east. Have you ever noticed that? North meets south, but You can go east and east and east and east and you will never end up going west. You go north, 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 and you'll ultimately go south. East never meets west. As far as the east is from the west, so far does God remove our sins from us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Look at this phrase. The very first five words are on you. Own your junk. What I did was wrong. What I said was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. Not I was wrong, but if you wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't have done this. I was wrong. When that happens, God steps in. He does the faithfulness. He does the forgiving. He does the purifying. He makes us righteous. He does the heavy lifting, but we've got to do the confessing. Life principle for you. When we cover our sin, God uncovers them. When we uncover our sin, God covers them. He doesn't rub them in. He rubs them out. He takes care of them when we are serious about them. How do you get serious about our own? I'm calling it junk. Call it sin. Call it transgression. Call it iniquity. Call it what you will. Call it what Scripture calls it. By all means, here's some things. Agree with God about the course of your life. Agree with God. God, you call it sin, I'm calling it sin. You said it wasn't right, it's not right. It's not just alignment with God, it's attunement with God. I'm attuning myself to be in line with you. When God says, I hate the horrible things in Jeremiah 44, 4, then I need to know what God hates because I don't want to do that. And I need to line up. If God, you hate this, I don't want to do that. I want to love what you love and hate what you hate. Number two, come broken to this reality. As you own your junk, as you own your sin, as you own your fallenness, don't do what Adam did. Adam turns to the woman. He says, that woman you gave me. No, it's you. What you brought 
A broken and contrite heart, Psalm 51, 17. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. Let me just say this. I don't care what you've done in your past. If you come to God with a broken and contrite heart, you're agreeing with God about your brokenness. There is nothing, nothing that he can't forgive. And there's nothing that he can't restore you to. Amen? Or oh me. Because if you don't, if you conceal it, it's oh me. If you confess it, it's amen. Am I going to agree with God about it, what he calls it? Am I going to come with a broken and contrite heart? A poor spirit is what he calls us to in the Beatitudes. A poor spirit will lead us to to a relationship with God. Uh, Number three, include yourself in a godly accountability relationship. I appreciate Jeremy giving us the challenge. Confess your sins one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. I want to be healed. Okay, let's back up. How do I get healed? I confess my sins. I pray for one another. And then I'm healed. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if I can go back to him again in life together. A man who confesses his sins is in the presence of a brother, confesses his sins in the presence of a brother, knows that he is no longer alone with himself. He experiences the presence of God in the reality of other persons. As long as I am by myself in the confession of my sins, everything remains in the dark. But in the presence of a brother, the sin has to be brought into the light. You need and I need one another, brothers and sisters in our life. Number four, leave resolved not to return. I'm not going back there. I've been there, done that, got a t-shirt and a lot of regret. And I'm not going back. In Psalm 32, verse 8, he talks about instructing and teaching and counseling with your eye upon us. God is wanting to, to, to do incredible things in our life. You go back to the very first verse. Go back to the very first verse. And you find these words again. I want to be forgiven. I want to be covered. I, want to, I don't want you to count my sins. When you look at that table again, notice what happens. When transgression is there, that rebellious spirit, and I confess it, God forgives. Whenever I understand that I've missed God's mark, the design for my life, what does he do? He covers it. He covers it. We don't cover it. He covers it. What happens then? You talk about our iniquity, our bentness, our brokenness, our twistedness, our deformedness. He doesn't count that against us. He's not expecting you to be perfect. He's expecting you to be clean. Close and clean. In relationship with him. David goes on in verse 7. And he says this. You surrounded me with songs of deliverance. The David who wrote so many of the psalms that we sing even today for a year didn't write. 
But whenever he confessed and got clean and was restored in his relationship with God, God began to give him back those songs of deliverance. He wrote probably like he had never written before because he had experienced the forgiveness, the covering, the restoration of God Almighty. And I love this verse. It's, again, worthy of memorizing. Verse 7, you are my hiding place. My Persevere, you uh, you persevere, uh, you uh, you preserve me, excuse me, you preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Notice David owns his stuff and then he knows God. You're my hiding place. You're my hiding place. You, you, You preserve me. You surround me. All of a sudden now that distant relationship that he had from God that had been separated, been broken, had been walls built up, he'd been running, he'd been trying to cover, now all of a sudden come down. And he, instead of hiding from God, he finds God as a hiding place. Instead of losing the joy to write and sing, he is now restored and is able to write and sing again. Now, I want to point this out, and I want to come back, and I'm going to reread that verse again. But this word that, uh, that we need to see is the word Selah. Yes, my granddaughter is named after this word. It is used throughout the Psalms. You count them up 74 different times, but in this one chapter alone, it's used three times. Selah. The best way I can describe Selah is it is a spiritual pregnant pause in which when you come to the word Selah, from now on when you're reading through the Psalms, and you come to the word Selah, please pause for 30 seconds. Please reflect for just a little bit longer. Because that word Selah is your call to pause. That pausing and looking at your own heart and your own life, but it's also looking at God. And if you'll notice, three times in this chapter, and one of those is at the end of verse 7. Would you close your eyes, bow your heads, and let me read this verse over you. I'm going to start by just saying Selah. Pause. You are a hiding place for me. Maybe your prayer today is, God, I've run from you and I've not run to you. I've hid things from you, tried to hide things from you, and not seen you as my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance.
Father, thank you for not giving up on us. You made us in Genesis 1 and 2 for the blessed life. When we open up the Psalms, the very first word we see is blessed. You called us to the blessed life. And Father, we've all messed up. And the sooner we own our junk, and we bring our junk, our trash, our iniquity, our transgression, our bent and broken, twisted, deformed hearts to you, the sooner we will not have our sins counted against us. We'll be forgiven. We'll be restored. We will know you as our hiding place. Father, I pray in this space right now, you will help us Understand that you are God and we are not. Would you help us to just for a moment say love? Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live sent.